Welcome to Educator Forever, where we empower teachers to innovate education. Join us each week to hear stories of teachers expanding their impact beyond the classroom and explore ways to reimagine teaching and learning. Ilana Leone has dedicated the majority of her career to improving K-12 education. Prior to founding Leone Consulting Group, she spent eight years leading the marketing and community strategy for the George Lucas Educational Foundation, where she grew Edutopia's social media presence exponentially to reach over 20 million education change makers every month. Hello, Ilana. So glad to have you here with us. Yeah, I am so glad to be here. I was just saying with you a little earlier, you were one of my first ever podcast guests. So the tables have turned and I'm so excited. Yay, me too. And I've loved being on your podcast and listening to your podcast as well. And I would love for you to start by sharing with us about your professional journey. I know it's a big question. It feels intimidating. I guess I don't take myself very seriously too. So there is no, like no one's career journey is done, but I don't know. But you've done so much. I mean, I think just take us through. I started out and got my undergraduate degree in business. And I just knew all I knew is I needed to make money because I came from a very poor family. And I recently came across one of my like second grade school pieces of work. And it said like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like all those questions. And I remember looking at it and it said in my like little second grade handwriting, it said, I want to be a lawyer, a doctor or anything that makes a lot of money so my family isn't poor anymore. And so like, one, I can't believe I said that and my poor second grade teacher had to like listen to that and have her heartbreak. But I just feel like that's a little bit been a bit of my guiding light of like, I want to do something that marries my passion for making an impact in this world. But I've always been trying to figure like the with the lens of I need to be somewhat profitable because I support people and things like that. So I, so I just went to, like I said, okay, I'm going to be a business major. They make money, right? It's called business. (laughs) Right. I went and did business, but then I realized that like, there weren't a lot of people like me there in business. Like I wasn't going into finance accounting. I liked when it got like super creative, but not in the illegal way, but like there's so many cool aspects of like high level accounting I liked, but I guess I'm rambling, but I just didn't feel like there was a place for me in business very much because it didn't marry like my my need for making an impact. Like if you think about what we do every day, we spend so much time. And if we're not making a difference, I don't feel like you're spending your life very well. I certainly have best friends that say, hey, just make an income so you can play and make an impact on on your side. But that's never been my philosophy. So Long story short, I graduated, didn't know what I was going to do, got a job at a startup in actually the town I live in now, Sausalito, and they were doing really cool things with corporate volunteerism. And I said, wow, you know, if a company like GE or Bank of America or Citigroup just motivated 1% of their workforce, like if you think about globally how many employees they have... And those 1% of people around the world dedicated their time and volunteerism, you can make a, a huge impact. So I spent five years really in this, like what they call corporate social responsibility world and just became fascinated by the people. And they were so selfless and giving and they ran big volunteer programs globally for big companies like, you know, 
AAA and, you know, all of the financial institutions. And then I just figured startup life was a little stressful. So after startup life, (laughs) I decided to go and be one with nature and become an oyster shucker. Oh, I didn't know that part. Okay. At the time, I lived in Bolinas, which is West Marin in California, and we're known for our oysters. And I came from a background of like being a, a, a restaurant server and catering. And so I had family friends that owned an oyster bar. And I said, can I just like escape from this noise and this politics and just have this beautiful, simple task of shucking oysters on Tamales Bay? Amazing. Yes. So I did that for like three or four months, had an amazing time, brought my dog to work, surfed. And my goal was to apply to one job a week. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Right. My first ever job I applied to was at Edutopia, the George Lucas Educational Foundation. So I applied. That was my one job I applied to. And it was the first job I applied to. And I got an interview. And it was for a membership coordinator at the time. Edutopia was launching this big membership for their magazine and trying to figure out how to create community and leverage online events. This is like circa 2005, no, 2008, sorry. So it's it's like the time where social media wasn't huge yet. People were still trying to leverage like video and webinars. Like webinars were super like AI is now. (laughs) What is this thing? (laughs) Right. So I spent eight years there. And during that time, they transitioned. I helped them transition from a magazine oriented environment to what is the world of social media and what is community and what is user generated content with blogs and, and all of those beautiful things. And I realized that educators are super selfless, amazing humans, just like those people I worked with in the corporate social responsibility world. Like they will do anything to help their students, to help their other colleagues, to help their community. And I just fell in love with the space. And so I guess, you know, very long story, not so long, short, whatever. I now run an agency and it's been about six years called Leone Consulting Group, short for LCG. And we just partner with education brands and we do the things that I did at the George Lucas Educational Foundation, social media, building community, creating content that really elevates educator voices and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's so awesome. I love the oyster phase too. (laughs) I feel like it's something that everybody could take forward in a transition. Like you could just take something on in a transition, right? That feels like the right thing right then. And set some mellow goals, like one job a week, like you did. That feels like some cool advice that we could take forward with us. I felt like I just needed to like decompress, you know, yeah. like time to decompress. And also, and I think your audience would really like this too, is like you need to have time to really understand what fuels you and what doesn't fuel you and set those boundaries so you don't make the same mistakes again. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think so many teachers, me included, when I left the classroom, you know, take a lot of that pace of being a teacher and like stress of being a teacher to the next chapter, because that's just what we know. And so being more intentional about that of being like, hey, I'm going to actually have the mental space and like emotional capacity to be able to think about what I need next, I think is a part that we often forget or miss because it's so go, go, go. So I appreciate that reflection for sure. And then thinking about, I'm curious always about how people learn things. And it seems like when you came into the world of Edutopia, which I honestly forgot that they were a magazine. 
Like it's so digital. Before they were a magazine, they were a DVD. Before they were a DVD, they were VHS. Before they were VHS, (laughs) they were physical books. Wow. Okay. They're old school, you know, they've been around over 20 years. And what I loved about, you know, learning from George, George Lucas is that he would go with the medium that educators consumed most at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And was able to quickly make decisions when he saw shifts in the market, when he saw, okay, people are online, you know, magazines are are not the way of the future. Totally. Yes. No, I appreciate that for sure. The adaptability. And so thinking about you, it seems like when you worked at Edutopia, you didn't have necessarily a ton of social media experience or community experience. And so how did you learn that? I absolutely knew nothing about education either, to be honest. Besides, I was in education. The reason why I wanted to do something in education is just a a personal note is education feels like it equalized me. It saved me in some way. I, I come from a background where my dad was incarcerated most of my childhood and my dad was super smart. He, but he graduated high school, didn't, didn't have the education to do other things. And I just, education saved me. Otherwise, I think I would have limited myself. And it, it inspired me to do things that I didn't even know were possible, you know, and, and going to college and not even knowing what a college was and not even planning for it. There was just, there was this beauty that inspired me. And, and if I thought if a teacher can change my world and education can change my world, it can do that for so many. And unfortunately, we see a lot of inequity in education, but there are those moments like for me, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing what I do. I wouldn't be having as a fulfilling life as I do now if it wasn't for education. Yes, absolutely. I absolutely appreciate that. And I think that at its best, education really is a great equalizer, you know, that can give people so many opportunities and really help, you know, so many people in different ways. I mean, like it also put a fuel in me too, though, because I said, well, what if what if a child doesn't have, like, I had a fourth grade teacher that one of the first adults that said, I believe you can do so much more. And like, you know, someone who really sees you and looks you in the eye and like, just says, you're made for great things. You can do things. I believe in you. And having that belief instilled in you can, like, even if you just have one little bit of it, the rest of your life, it can change the trajectory of your life. But I said, well, think about all the kids that never get that. Mm-hmm. That kind of fueled me with Edutopia and it fueled me with my work at the agency. But your question, I did not answer, was no, about like that. Like, how do you begin to learn all this stuff? Social media, how do you begin to learn like community and like blogging and all of the things around that? And I think you just need to approach it with a curious mindset and say, well, what are the skills I have and how can they translate? Because I, I work with a lot of educators that have transitioned into ed tech. And I always say you have so many more skills than you realize that translate into the world of ed tech businesses, wherever you want to go. So I just thought like, well, they hired me for like skills like email marketing. And I had a little bit of that. And I knew Salesforce and I knew some of the technology, but I had no idea how to like do all of the things. But I just started with listening. And I know that feels overly simplistic, but I was scared of Twitter, just like everyone else. I was scared of all of the things. And I just like got on there and like lurked, but not like creepy lurked, but like (laughs) lurked and listened to educators doing cool things. And I started to emulate what they did. I started asking questions and just being authentic. And 
it just kind of built. I think I also looked and identified people in the workplace that could help me and were also growing because this whole field was new. So I happened to sit next to the person who was in charge of community and blogs. And I said, hey, you want to hear, you want to see what I'm doing over here on Twitter? And then she's like, hey, you want to see what I'm doing over here? And it turns out because we were sitting next to each other, we created our whole entire blog strategy in the beginning just based on Ed Chat on Twitter. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> so I think you just like have to be open. You have to listen. You have to not be hard on yourself. And you have to bring people on your journey with you. Like I was in lockstep with my boss to say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Are you okay with this? Here's what I think it could be, but I'm not sure because everything's so new. And she fully supported that. But it's just bringing everyone along with you so you're not on your own island. Sometimes mm-hmm. I see educators and other people come in and they're like, I'm doing this thing. I'm going. But no one's going with you. And so if you can't make the case or if they're not with you, you're siloed and you won't get funding or it won't continue. So I guess I just like a, a lot of learn by doing on the ground. But listening, collaborating, and bringing people on the journey. Absolutely. Yeah. When I was teaching, I always called that phase of like exploring a new concept, mucking about. <laughs> hey, we're going to like muck about and learn about the rainforest by looking at all these different books about the rainforest and like seeing what it feels like and looking at pictures. And I think that some of what you described, I would also describe as mucking about like that lurking and kind of just like playing around and talking to people like it honestly kind of parallels the oyster story again, you know, of having this, not just like, I'm going to hit the ground running and I'm going to go and I'm going to know all the things. Like there has to be a, a phase where we're kind of figuring it out. And I think labeling that can kind of make it easier. Yeah. I think I would add is in situations that are always unknown and we're coming across so many unknowns in education and ed tech and the world of business. Now you have to have this a little bit of a belief in yourself too, because if you don't have that belief, no one's going to say, okay, Lily, you go muck about over here. Like they're, they're going to have to like be able to say, well, if anyone can do it, you can do it. And, you know, and you need to instill that confidence in yourself of like, I don't know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think sometimes I wasn't as humble that I was like, I'll figure it out, you know, come with me. <laughs> but you got to have a little bit of that, lots of curiosity, but you have to have a, some confidence that you can do some things there and get people to believe in you. Yes. And that you can figure things out. You know, you don't have to know everything, but that if you have the confidence that you can figure things out, then I think that really propels people forward. And that's 100% how I would describe almost any educator I've ever met. Yeah, (laughs) right? Right? Because it's always an unknown situation. (laughs) Yeah, there's a book called Everything is Figureoutable. I think. Oh, yeah. uh, Who is it? Amy Porterfield's friend? Marie Forleo. Marie Forleo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I haven't read it, but it's like it totally aligns with just where we're at. It's like everything is figure outable. We just need to bring people on our journey and potentially have some hypothesis of what we're trying to get out of this too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have that intention. Because I could spend my entire life on social media and not make goals or targets if I didn't know like here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I think. And I can be wrong and I'm wrong all the time. But yeah. And it's that balance of like the focus and the goals and also some flexibility of taking in data and trying new things and seeing how they go. And so that kind of leads us to your work now, which you do amazing work with lots of different education brands and organizations. Can you tell us a little bit about just what that work is like? Yeah. So we just partner with education organizations, but in in the world of education, it can be a little mucky 
to use your words or something like a little, you you can work in education organizations that are nonprofits. You can work with more business to consumer type of e-learning brands, like where we met at education.com where anything where it's forward facing the consumers, we're learning maybe like parents want to buy stuff for their children type of brands. We also work in like the, the pure ed tech space where it's like B2B business to business or B2C and they have a tech product or professional service that they use to sell to teachers. They use to sell to administrators. They use to sell to parents and things like that too. So we work with all sorts of like education brands. In addition to that, we work with higher education brands. So it's like, and they're all very different, but if they're making a difference in education, we want to work with them. And that gives us that unique vantage point and also fuels our passion. So what we do is a lot of the stuff I did at Edutopia. And and I realized that there's other people that are very passionate about these services as well is organic social media. So people go, what's organic? Organic is the stuff you don't pay for. (laughs) And it's, it's the most pure, authentic form of social media. It's the posts that you see every day that a brand is posting. And hopefully they're posting with the goal of how can I provide value in a consistent way to my audience? And my audience might be my buyers, they might be my users, but how can I do that? And how can I have fun with the platform and look at what the platform wants and all of that? So we do that for education brands. And we also teach education brands how to do it themselves. So lots of stuff around organic social media management. I believe it's a one of the most authentic ways to connect and create relationships with your target audience, whether they be buyers or users. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so cool to think about, you know, social media as being community and as a way to really connect and get that feedback and build relationships that way. I really want to elevate that you have been such an advocate for teachers And even though you might not have had classroom experience yourself, you know, I think that through your experience, you have gained this unique vantage point of the work that educators do. And I know that you do so much to elevate teacher voice in all the different things that you do. So can you talk a little bit more about how you help brands and organizations include teacher voice? Sure. The other things I think we do at LCG that kind of tie into that is we build communities of educators and kind of Using the words of one of my colleague, Porter, she always says, the greatest resource for educators is other educators. And that really reminds me of like, I was an early ed camp for anyone who all the educators that know the ed camp unconference model. We always said the smartest person in the room is the room and community is that and it, it builds and it's joyful and it can support that isolated profession of educators. In terms of educator voice, the thing I love doing is creating content that elevates educator voice. And that's the other service that LCG does. We create blog posts, ebooks, podcasts, anything that help elevate and incorporate educator voice. I think something that still fuels me and makes me mad at the same time, and that's why I like to continue this work, is I've never been in an industry, granted, I've only been in two, but that the primary like stakeholder, the person that has a lot of responsibility on the learning outcomes is generally not listened to or uplifted or supported in a way that helps them grow on a regular basis. So that makes me mad. Yes. And I want to make sure that educator voices are uplifted 
all of the time. And in fact, like they're more important than, you know, maybe some executive that came from Google. Like, sure, they might know their realm and what a business can do to succeed, but educators know what they want. And if your product doesn't resonate with either your end user or your buyer, it's not going to succeed. And it's not going to make those efficacy things that we're seeing right now. In the world of ed tech, you know, there is a bit of a tech bloat and people are going to start consolidating. And the one thing they're going to look at is impact and say, what products are actually making an impact? And I don't care what relationships you have with districts. If you can't prove that, you're going to be gone. And the way you ensure that you're making an impact is you're constantly elevating and integrating educator voice. Absolutely. And I think that you can tell, you know, products and services that don't have teacher voice in them or, you know, any teacher input at the beginning when they get to teachers in the classroom, teachers can tell and vice versa. Like you can tell when you are using a product that teachers have worked on because generally it resonates more. So I think it's good for everybody. Like you have to have it. And like thinking of practical ways, like ed tech companies do it and how we do it. But we always like help with things like focus groups or what we call stakeholder interviews where we go one-on-one with educators and go deep and say, what do you want? What do you don't want? What do you like? It could be product oriented. It could be topic oriented about the topics the brand cares about. Focus groups are great. So you can kind of compare, do you like this or that? You can do a lot of user testing that's on a high scale like usertesting.com, but you can also use educator focused stuff. So we go really deep. You can do surveys. Like there's lots of ways to integrate educator voice and product building and development and even marketing, like testing your marketing messages. But I also applaud companies that hire educators. You have to make sure you do it well. And there's like, I think you were on my podcast talking a little bit about that too, but you got to make sure that you're ready to support an educator that has completely different culture, completely different dynamic. They don't know all the ebbs and flows and the little things about how like a ed tech or a for-profit company work. I remember there was an educator, I think it was Serena that was on my podcast from Soundtrap. And she said, the first thing I had to remember is that like, oh, I can, I can use the bathroom whenever I want. (laughs) So like, there's like little things, like there's like so much more freedom, but then with freedom becomes, there's some ambiguosity a little bit too, right? So You don't want to hire educators just for hiring educators' sake. You want to make sure that they're fundamentally integrated either in product development. I've seen educators do very good in terms of customer service, community roles, customer success, partnership type of roles, marketing, events, all of the things around that because they're so close to the end user, right? So I know we can talk a lot about like what what roles we see in ed tech and stuff, but I would say on both sides, from the educator side, just go in knowing that you're entering a world that's fundamentally different. Give yourself some grace. (laughs) Ask questions. Like the more questions, the better, because, you know, on the tech side or the business side, they actually don't know how to support you best because they have never been an educator. Mm -hmm. So tell them, hey, you know, is it okay if I like take five minutes to do this? Or like, and they're like, oh my God, yes, you actually are legally required to blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yes, I remember my first role out of the classroom was working with Teaching Channel, which was mostly I did it from home, but occasionally I would come into the office. And I remember being just so confused by the culture 
<laughs> you know, just like people just roll in at certain times. You know, people come sometime between like nine and 11. And that was so weird to me. Just like, we're not all here right at nine. You know, like the bell is not ringing. It's not that sense of urgency. And I also remember being like, oh, I can have like hot tea whenever I want. Like, okay, I'm just going to have a snack. Like, great. In a meeting. Sure. But I think it is like a culture shift of just being in a new place. And so it's important for both teachers and those organizations to kind of have that in mind, too. It's totally something that you can adapt to. But just knowing that it's not going to be necessarily just the skills that you're developing, you know, or the new things that you're doing, but also a new culture you're stepping into. Yeah. And I think one of the things that both parties can do that will almost always set them up for success is understand what the expectations are in the role and have some clear like scaffold type of goals to get you there. Right. So a lot of companies do 90 day goals. So it's not like your quarterly or your H1, H2 goals, but it's something small that you every month you check in and say, here's, here's what we agreed to. And they could be small, like technical things. Like a lot of the times educators need to learn new technology and so a lot of time you're building up and onboarding. But if if you are an educator searching for a job in the world of tech or ed tech, ask them about what their onboarding looks like. Ask them about their plans there, because if they don't have a process or have a place to support you, you're probably not going to succeed in that environment. And that goes for pretty much all employees, not just educators. But you got to make sure that they're like, here's how we will onboard you here. Like for the tech that you don't know, we're going to give you time. We're not going to just throw everything at you and you're going to freak out. You know, like we're going to, here's how we're going to support you and be on the same page of what you are expected to do in your role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So important. So you are a wealth of knowledge of all things, education and social media. And I'm curious for those people out there who are educators hoping to start their own businesses, if you have any social media advice for them. Yes, I would like I I would love to talk to your audience for like 10 years about this. (laughs) (laughs) You can come back again, too. Yes, I will say, don't be afraid of making mistakes on social media and start soon and do it often. You obviously have 10 million things you are doing. When you're starting a business, it's very scary, but tell your journey and use social media to tell your journey and your authentic story. I think that's so powerful. And, you know, because your time is limited, pick one or two platforms. You don't need to be on all of them. We will be releasing soon some content around how do you know what channels you should be on and prioritize. But I would say just in a nutshell, look at where your target audience is and see if they're there. And if you have the expertise and personal joy to be on that platform. So take maybe you're like an energetic teacher and you like being camera forward and you're fun and you like to tell jokes. Maybe you want to think of TikTok, but start earlier than you'd think. Don't, don't wait to do social media until you're ready or you have like help with an intern or stuff. Like start soon, pick one channel and use it to tell your story, your authentic why. Why did you start this? What are you doing? What did you learn? Tell your successes. It's not being narcissistic. It's it's how you get people to connect with you as like a human going through this. So there are so many tips and tricks around how to do this. I would say make sure you're consistent So that means putting it on your calendar and saying, I don't care if it's just one hour the entire work week, put it on your calendar, you know, put one hour every Wednesday at 8 a.m. I go in and I create X amount of posts and I create X amount of time just to engage with people. 
But if you are consistent, you're going to be ahead of the game of all of your competitors and everything else. Because usually when people start businesses, they don't prioritize it. And that's a bummer because that's where you can start building relationships. You can start getting testimonials from people using your product or using your services. We sometimes just partner with brands and their number one goal is just to get case studies and testimonials and get get other people speaking on their behalf at webinars. And the way we find them is them talking about the product on social media. That might take some time when you're starting out your business, but no, it's there. Like there's so many benefits. So tell your story. Be okay to know you're going to make mistakes. I tell a story about a superintendent of schools. I taught her how to use Twitter and she embraced it and I loved it. And she like didn't know all the things, but she's like, I'm using Twitter, Lana. I'm like, okay, you go. (laughs) And I gave her some fundamentals. But again, you kind of need to learn by doing and make mistakes to understand the platform. And so, you know, inevitably she got hacked. And I got some like, you know, I mean, like she was telling me to buy some Ray-Ban sunglasses at one point, but that didn't stop her, you know, and she was elevated. She was a superintendent of schools and like, she could have been so embarrassed and just stopped, but she didn't. She was like, oh yeah, this happens, you know, let's just keep going. And she learned from it. So you're going to make mistakes, keep going, make sure you're consistent and you're learning what your audience wants as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that part of the personal journey is so key. Because if I think about people that I like to follow, you know, or things that stand out to me, it is that kind of like behind the scenes personal journey, like the connection of knowing that there are humans on the other side of certain accounts. And I think teachers in particular, sometimes that feels really uncomfortable. Because we aren't generally going out there and like sharing about our personal journeys and like sharing about who we are. And sometimes we see ourselves as like, quote unquote, just teachers, you know, so I think it can sometimes be a mindset shift of feeling like your story is important enough to share. But it is like, it totally, totally is. And I think it's what will bring that connection in. And I think if teachers of this entire conversation is making you uncomfortable, like find your moment, like your area of comfort level, you're never going to be fully comfortable on social media. But what you can do is say, okay, I don't want them like people seeing my backyard or like my family or anything like that. But what I can do is talk about my love for whatever service you're offering on your new business. And you can, you know, every, every day you show up and you just have one, one thought like that's, it's a professional world. We're not asking you to dance, but to think about your comfort level within all of that. And then if you don't even want to create, because creating can be hard and intimidating to start, just listen. Listen, comment, like, retweet, all of the things around that and show that you are listening and sharing and curating great resources. And if you just did that in the beginning, you would start gaining followers. Absolutely. And just like those scaffolded baby steps, it doesn't have to be at the beginning, you're posting every day, multiple times a day, like it can be, you know, baby steps that are consistent. Agreed. I I think like consistency, listening, and just have that grace for yourself in case you do make mistakes. Just just keep going. We all make mistakes. And in fact, like I do this for a living. We make mistakes a lot. You know, you just happen to not see them because people don't see everything you post on social media. If they did, I would be a millionaire, (laughs) right? Or a billionaire. (laughs) Because the algorithms limit you, right? So I, I think that It's not about you, even though you're talking about yourself. Know that people at most probably see about 5% of what you post. So if if something flops, it's okay. Go look at anybody's TikTok. And one out of every 20, if they're lucky, is the one that goes viral. 
Everything else is a flop. So these are people every day creating stuff that flops. Yeah. And then it's like a numbers game, right? Like it's like, all right, if most of the things I create are not going to be super successful and most people aren't going to see them, like I better be creating more, right? Like then really like the consistency comes in too. It does. And a lot of the times it's very design thinking like it reminds me of is like what you emotionally get attached to is never the stuff that actually works. <laughs> and yeah, it's the thing absolutely. That, it's, like, it's a random thing that you're like, oh, people like that? Yes. But you really have to go like audience centered and say, what are they like? Okay. It looks like they like me kind of making jokes and, you know, talking about, I don't know. Random things. <laughs> yeah. I just did a reel where I was walking the dog. So I was like, oh, I just have to do a reel. And then I was like, I'm walking the dog. It's so random. Like I was like, this is not going to be great. Like, will people get dizzy? And then it's totally the most popular reel. I'm like, okay, <laughs> people like me walking the dog, <laughs> like talking while I'm walking. Yeah. And if you're somebody that needs to make sense out of life and like, say you're a math teacher and like, there's an, there's an answer to everything. You might not like social media because there's never an answer. <laughs> and what works with walking your dog the next day will never work because the algorithms are changing. The audience is changing. The world is changing. So social media is the race for attention. And what you're trying to do is compete with some of the biggest brands in the world and creators, most entertaining creators in the world for attention. And if there happens to be something like a pandemic or unfortunately, a school shooting that we just recently experienced, like those things people are going to be talking about, and they're not going to be listening to you, regardless of how awesome your dog walking is. Absolutely. I mean, it's like that adaptability and like feedback cycle and awareness, like all of that. It's like a pulse on our society, right? Like of all the things that are going on. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing all of your wonderful expertise and your experience with us. Can you share where people can find out more about you and your agency? Sure. They can find me at Ilana Leone. And I know it's people just call me Leona sometimes, which is funny. It's like <laughs> the distinguishing of the name. I think you'll have it in show notes, but it's E-L-A-N-A Leone, L-E-O-N-I. So you can find me on all social with that. I am the CEO of Leone Consulting Group. So leoneconsultinggroup.com and at Leone Group on Twitter and, and all of the socials. We're pretty much for LCG. We are on Twitter and we are on LinkedIn. And we also have a beautiful foundation. If you're interested in how we're giving back to the world of education, we didn't talk about. You can find our work at lcgfound.org. Yes, I love that foundation work too. Thanks for sharing that. And thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. Oh my gosh, it's a dream, Lily. And you're going to have to come on mine later. So I am such a fan of you and what you do and how you empower educators to kind of think differently and figure out what their why is. And their why might be lots of things. Yeah, and it might change. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Ready to find rewarding, impactful work in the education world? Take our free quiz to discover your next right career step. Will you be a curriculum developer, an education consultant, instructional coach? The list of possibilities goes on and on. Take the quiz to find out the best fit for you at educatorforever.com slash quiz. You'll also receive customized resources to kickstart your dream career and life.